This is the MLW Radio Network. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Blackheart, the head honcho off the Top Roast Podcast. If you love independent and professional wrestling and like all the juicy gossip of the wrestling industry, then look no further than here, OTTR Headquarters. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Facebook groups, and whatever that you get your podcast from with our, with our latest Last Week of Wrestling, After Darts, Under Boss's Hard Taste, and now a new upcoming trivia game show, Wrestling Every, coming soon. So if you like what you've seen, you love professional wrestling, you love independent wrestling, you love everything about wrestling just yourself, give us a tune. You know, you would not regret it. Blackheart out. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. My name is Thomas, and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah, yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was. Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. For we right? shared a room. I thought I knew your face. Yeah, we go we? way back, mate. Yeah. yeah, we should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do. We do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Broadcast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books, we're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also check us out on Twitter, at The Broadcast. That's B-R-O. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hey, the ending. Hey, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the broadcast podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I am excited. I'm very excited. We got a big show for you guys tonight. I get the opportunity to interview somebody who is in a company, who's been a part of a company, I should say, that I am not only a big fan of, but I'm a fan of his work as well. It's not too often that you get a chance to meet people that you, you really respect with what they do in the wrestling business, but today is different. I get that opportunity. Tonight we get to talk with the Beer City Bruiser. You've probably seen him in Ring of Honor and also in various other promotions. He's got a style and a look that is so very unique. Uh, many people have said it's a throwback of just the, the big barrel-chested burly brawlers uh, of the early days in wrestling, 60s and 70s and even early 80s as well. But definitely as intimidating as he looks, I can promise you, he is a very wonderful individual, and I can't wait to get a chance to talk to him about his career, what made him get into professional wrestling, and what his aspirations are now. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and let's bring him on in here, the Beer City Bruiser. How you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. How about you? I am excellent. Like I said before, so glad that we got a chance to uh, to carve out some time to, together and to talk a little about wrestling. 
Yeah, me too, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. So I guess the first thing that I love to find out about people is what is some of your earliest memories of, of wrestling itself? Is it something that you watched? You know, we talked to a lot of different wrestlers and they say, well, I watched it with grandparents or I watched it with my dad. A lot of bonding moments over wrestling. And some people say they just kind of stumbled over it. So what was your very first memory of wrestling and being exposed to it? It was actually my uncle. Um, he took me, when I was like seven years old, he took me to a, a fair. And at the fair was AWA wrestling was going on. And he was a huge fan of wrestling. You know, he'd been watching his whole life. So he took me to the show and just sitting there watching and stuff. And the main event was actually King, um, I'm sorry, Bruiser Brody versus Stan Hansen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was supposed to be Abdul the Butcher, but I guess Butcher canceled for some reason. So it became Stan Hansen versus Brody. And Brody, they came on the outside. They were brawling everywhere, beating the crap out of each other. And, and Brody came, I remember, just came right next to me. You know, and I'm a seven-year-old kid, and he looks like 20 feet tall, and he's got the blood <laughs> and, you know, the crazy hair. And I looked at my uncle and went, this is amazing. And I've been a fan ever since. And it was like, it just became, an obs- like Brody became an obsession for me back wearing the shirt today but yeah he uh just was became an obsession so that's how i got into like japanese wrestling puerto rican wrestling uh that's how i found the the t- texas and stuff and that's where i got to see the von erics and that's my fellow terry gordy and you know you go to japan you see all that stuff and then because of gordy i found foley and it's just big snowball effect it's the six degrees of separation here i mean it's like one thing leads to yet another thing that allows you to open yet another Pandora's box and it leads to something else very exciting. But just to kind of start out with that being your first experience, it's like that's a dream moment for most wrestling fans to see that match. And you saw it and you were up close and that is, it's got to be amazing. Do you do you have a, a program or anything like that from the uh, the event itself or ticket stub or anything? No, Um I have the memory. Uh, I've looked around for for stuff. Um, I haven't found anything. I asked my uncle a while ago, and and he never kept anything. You know, he's like, oh, I didn't keep it. I didn't think of you know anything, and so I don't really have anything. But I've gone back and like, there's like, I think there's footage somewhere of it, um, like off you know, back in the tape trading days. Like a buddy of mine's like, oh, I know what match you're talking about. I remember seeing that. I was like, wait, how would you see it? <laughs> you know and stuff like that and, and uh but you know that's you know years ago and i wish i could find stuff like that and every time i'm at you know a con or a, a super fan's house or over at just like a wrestling historian or something i'm always like hey what programs and stuff like that because i i collect that stuff too and and i've always been looking for something with with that card because i can remember vaguely the undercard i just i know hansen and brody was like the thing that I, you know, cause it's just two huge men beating oh the crap my out of each other. Yes. You know, I couldn't tell you who won or lost. I, they probably didn't want to a no finish. You know, Stan Hansen was champion at the time. You know, this is before he ran the belt over with his truck and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, but yeah, I, I want to say like, I think the Midnight Rockers, I don't think he was in the, I don't, I have no idea. I have to, that's why I want to find the program. Cause I'd be like, oh, okay. 
and see if it sparks anything. Well, now that when people listen to this, that is everyone's homework assignment. You <laughs> need to help the Beer City Bruiser out, and you need to find this. So uh, attention all wrestling fans, find it, tag him in it on social media, because we need for this story to come full circle. It was at the, uh, it was AWA at the Merrill Fairgrounds in Merrill, Wisconsin. Merrill, Wisconsin. So, yeah. Nice. I'll, I'll make sure that I put my feelers out there as well to try to, to look for that. So you're there and, and that's your first connection. And it, it seems like it hit you immediately that this is something that really captivated you. And it made you think, man, this is, this is something special. Did you go to school and were, were they talking about that kind of stuff at school? Did you have an inner circle of friends that were also into it? Or was it kind of like kind of hit and miss at that point? No, I actually made friends that also got into it. You know, like I, I remember getting home and t- telling all my buddies about it, you know, and of course um, Hulk Hogan and stuff like that was starting, you know, he was pretty big. So we knew who he was, but it was like, you know, guys, we have to watch this. Like I saw this and that's kind of how we all kind of became, you know, I got my friends into it and we all gather around and watch it, you know, on Saturday nights and stuff like that. And, um, I was just, you know, it was just because my buddies and I were all like, hey, this is awesome. And then when I was a little bit older, my brother and I would always goof around because he, he'd he watch wrestling with me too. And, you know, we just were brothers, so we'd, you know, wrestle around and stuff. And he ended up putting his elbow through the wall, and my mom came in and saw it, so she banned <laughs> wrestling in the house. <laughs> so we had to, to sneak it. So I had to go to my buddy's house to watch it. He'd tape whatever it was and we'd go over there or we'd always make sure we do sleepover so then saturday morning we can get up and watch stuff and uh i'm a big comic book fan too so i used to nice. go and get my comic books and then i'd buy you know the pwi or the wrestler or all the older magazines and i'd stick them in my comics after i bought my comics i'd buy buy both magazines and i'd stick them in my comics and sneak them in the house that way you didn't want commissioner mom to find out because no. she already <laughs> shut down the fed. You don't want her to, you don't want her to get a hold of the publications. Yeah. And then, so when I was, uh, it was wrestling right after WrestleMania six, I used my bedroom was in the basement and I had a TV. So I'd always sneak wrestling and they covered the Hogan warrior match. And I was jumping up and down in my bed screaming. Cause it was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then, you know, you turn, you look at the door and it's like, <laughs> they, they caught me doing, you know, she, and she's like, I guess, I guess I can't break this from you. Like, this is not just the phase. And I was like, nope. <laughs> oh, so. my gosh. So, mom, finally, you finally brought her into the circle and said, mom, listen, you got to just go with it at this point. You uh, know? And then during the, uh, like, the Monday Night Wars and stuff, like, she'd sneak in. She was she was a fan of Sting. You know, she thought Sting was a handsome young man. So, so she'd you sneak hooked in. her. Yeah. No, she, she wasn't the wrestling at all. <laughs> You know, this is Crow Sting and, and, you know, the movie had just come out and stuff like that. And she thought it was, I was watching the Crow and she's looking, she's like, oh, that's, you know, so. Wow. She'll watch me today, but she doesn't watch it. They don't watch it on TV. I'm going to get to that too, because I know a lot of mothers uh, don't like to usually watch their, their children wrestle because it's the whole fear thing. Like Mikey Whipwreck said, you know, his mother would never watch any of his stuff and, Jerry Lynn would say the same thing to me. And a lot of guys would say, you know what, mom and dad, they support me, but they won't, they won't watch it because there's always that, that parental fear built in that something's going to happen to their, to their child. But so you're watching wrestling, you're grooving, you're really getting into it here. Um, 
at what point did you start collecting things as well? Were you an action figure guy when you were growing up? I mean, or was it just more the the magazines and whatnot? I did a lot of the magazines because um, I had all the pictures and stuff like that. Because I was, you got to remember, I my first exposure was Brody, and Brody was never a terror. He was a territory guy. He wasn't a stay in one place guy. So my fandom was chasing him around and and the toys were great, but like you couldn't buy, you know, a Masawa toy over here. You couldn't buy a Kobashi toy over here. You, you know, Tenru, they didn't have a Tenru toy. You know what I mean? Stuff like yep. that. Um, so it was like, okay. I mean, I, I watched wrestling, you know, WWF, NWA and all that stuff. Um, and I had toys as a kid, but I wasn't like, I have to have them all type thing. Um, I, I like the pictures and stuff. Cause I got to see the guys that I, you know, didn't get to see. And that's why I was drawn a lot to like ECW. Cause they use that international talent, you know? Yes. And it, it would, it, I was right at that age where it's like, Oh, this is awesome. You know what I mean? Like guys that I only, you know, I have to pay to see, to buy these tapes, to see them. They're now over here, you know? So I collected tapes, <laughs> I guess you could say it was my collection. So did you get to go, the older you got, did you start attending more live events or if they were somewhere within a reasonable driving range, would you try to, you know, either get buddies to go or maybe get somebody to take you? Yeah. Um, my first live event besides the the one my uncle took me to um, was when the mega powers split up and that's where Akeem takes the big bump to the floor. Um, my dad- Where the now- rope broke? No, 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 he went through the top in the middle. This is one where, remember, Elizabeth gets knocked down and she gets carried to the back, and then Hogan goes to the back to help Elizabeth and all that, that whole thing. Um, it took place in Milwaukee, and my dad and my uncle took me. And I always tell, every time I talk to to wrestling, like kids wanting to get into wrestling and stuff, or, or students at wrestling schools and stuff with my seminars and stuff, I tell them, the, don't perform when you perform, you can't perform for the front four rows they you know they're they're close you want to perform for the guy who's up in like row zz at the top of the thing because that's probably a father who can't really afford to go to the show but it's he's a fan and his kid's a fan so he's buying tickets for you know and and you're only you know you're minuscule from those seats and that's because of my experience because i remember being there live we were so high up but it was still so exciting because you know, love him or hate him, Hogan was larger than life in the ring. Macho Man was larger than life in the ring. You, you know, uh, Big Boss Man and Akeem, they're, just, you know, they're huge. And it was like, I could see all that, you know? So I try to tell kids nowadays, like, when, when you're wrestling, you're not just wrestling for these first two rows. It's those guys in the back, you know? That's who they, that you want to have them see you while you're in the ring. And I just can remember that moment because I, I can remember – Besides it being such an iconic moment nowadays, I can remember Hogan, you know, moving around so big and Akeem doing the big walk and stuff. And and now as I, you know, as I got into wrestling and stuff, I started learning and I went back to watch Bruiser Brody stuff. He carried himself the same way. So it was like, okay, I get, you know, so I try to tell that to, you know, I know from personal experience, (laughs) you want to be as big as you can. So that was my first live event that I went to. And then I went to different stuff. Over the years, I mean, if you watch uh, ECW, uh, forget which one it is. It's when Carino wrestles Tajiri and New Jack jumps off the balcony. It's filmed at the Rave in Milwaukee, and he jumps off the balcony through a table. If you watch before he jumps and you pan over, 
it was me and my four buddies wearing Cactus Jack shirts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like, I didn't know that till we were watching. I told my wife and she was, isn't that your friend? You know, and we pause it and I'm like, yeah. So we're looking, I'm like, wait a minute, that's all of us. <laughs> hey, look at that. So it was pretty cool. So it, it really seems to me like you were a connoisseur of wrestling, meaning you, you weren't just one style or one promotion. You seem to take it all in, whether it be, you know, Japanese or like you said before, Mexican style wrestling or here in the United States, you really made sure that you had a very diverse education behind it. Was there anybody international? Uh, yeah, and I know Brody here in the States, but anybody international that you really liked, enjoyed watching? Uh, Kobashi, uh, Kenta Kobashi from orange trunks, you know, the white trunks to what he retired in the black, like everything he did was amazing. You know, him and Masawa would just destroy each other in the ring with those matches, you know, um, then you throw Tenru and Muda in there, you know, and it's just like, Oh my God, like they're just destroying each other. And, and I remember watching the funks versus uh, Kobashi and Misawa. And it's just like everything he does is I, I like that big brawling brute style, but then they still do something athletic. Like he do the moonsault. You're like, Whoa, wait a minute. He's not supposed to do that. You know, and you'd watch him do it. And, and you know, Brody was his drop kicks or his jumping knees, you know, and just, Kobashi just put his body through everything even till the day he retired. You know, he would put leave everything he had in the ring for all the all the fans. And uh, to me as a kid, I thought that was amazing. You know, and I was a larger kid, and I got to see a larger guy do stuff, and I was like, oh, this is this is really cool. You know, so. Well, a lot of people have made quotes about you, and they've said he's such a big dude and he's a brawler, but you would be shocked at how agile. Uh, bruiser is in the ring. I mean, you can, it's, it's funny. You're talking about how these guys can do these things, but then it's, it's interesting now to watch you and you're this big brawler, mauler, mean looking dude, but yet you are very, very light on your feet in the things that you do as well. So I feel like you kind of, you took something from that as well. And you kind of wove that into your repertoire. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a type of person where if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to go do it just to prove you wrong. And in wrestling, you always get that image when you see such a big guy like myself, you don't expect too much out of him, you know, because a lot of people will point out, and I'm not trying to knock on some of the larger guys that can do anything. You know what I mean? I, they all had jobs obviously at one point, but like I wanted to be like the, the Brody's or the Kobashi's or the Terry Gordy's, you know, Terry Gordy, was a large, large man, you know, but he could go. Yeah. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow is the farthest thing you can think of when you think of like a like a, he's not a bodybuilder, you know. He was like an everyday dude with a tattoo. You know, he looked like a, a hell's angel. Yes, he did. <laughs> but he could move. And and I always looked up to that. And when I got into wrestling and stuff, I'd study how they moved in the ring. And I'd watch their feet and I'd watch their how they're breathing and and, and I'd try to emanate that. And then training with Harley. Harley was a large guy, you know, people forget that. Like Harley, you know, and his prime was what, like six, two, 300 pounds or something like that. Like he was a big guy. Yes. And he could go, he'd go hour long matches, like no problem. And it, all the way, you know, as he aged and everything. And like, so learning from him, it was, you know, here's a little cheat you can do here. Here's a little cheat you can do here. And this will help you here. And, you know, and, and I always was told from real early in my career, go out there people aren't gonna hire you for a job by your looks they're not gonna look at your picture and give you a job 
uh, Trevor Adonis is the guy's name who told me this. Um, he's the guy who actually broke me into wrestling. He says, they're not going to look at your picture and want to give you a job, but they're going to watch you wrestle and realize how athletic you are and how, how good you are and how you're a student of this. And then when you get done and you ask them what you need to work on and they tell you and you apply that, that's what's going to get you a job. You're coachable and you're athletic. You know, and he says, but it's a hard road. Like, it's not it's not an overnight, you know, you're going to have to work really hard. And well, it took me 14 years to be in wrestling before I got signed to a major company. But then I got signed and I was there, you know, seven years until it closed. So, Well, and, and it's so funny you mentioned that to be coachable. And I think that is one of the most important attributes for anybody in, in any profession or any job is if you're coachable, if, if somebody is you know, able to work with you and you got a good attitude. I mean, the sky's the limit at that point. You yeah. know, they, you can work around so many other things as opposed to somebody who may come in and have, you know, this, this attitude or this belief system that, you know what, I'm already where I need to be. And uh, that'll definitely probably turn people off pretty quickly. I think it, I will never, I don't want to say I'm never happy in professional wrestling because I am, but I always want more, you know, like I wanted to be, okay, I want to get booked at X amount of companies this year. I want to, okay, I did that. Now I want to, you know, get outside of this state. Okay, I did that. You know, and I was always more. I always wanted more. And uh, I remember after Madison Square Garden, it's funny because uh, I had a, I have a bucket list when I started professional wrestling. And when I got back from Japan, my wife goes, well, what's left on your list? Because I know that's what you, that's what's been driving you. I says, well, I have one more thing, and I, I don't think it'll ever happen. She goes, what's that? I said, I want to wrestle in Madison Square Garden. Just because that, when you think of professional wrestling and you That's think the of, Mecca, baby, that is. And it's like all these iconic things. I just wanted to, to perform there. And she goes, you don't think it'll happen? I says, no. And like Vince, you know, Vince runs that and all that. And I remember talking to Kevin Kelly about it. And, uh, you know, we were just joking around. He's like, why do you want to go to that shithole? Like, and he's, just, he's like, it's horrible backstage, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then Ring of Honor announced the show, you know, and then we did it and, and I got to do everything and. So the next day, my wife goes, well, now what? Like, you've done everything on your bucket list. I said, well, I guess i got to make a new list. Like, yep. there's, you know, I want more. You find that some of the most successful people, gosh, I feel like there's this common thread that is woven into every wrestler we've talked to, is they're never quite content with where they're at, and they always want more, more more. Okay. I did this. That was great. But what's next? Right. And I think that's where you find successful people is when they don't just say, okay, I've accomplished this. I can sit back now. They, they want to set new goals and they want to aspire to do new things because if you're not continuing to push yourself, then what's the point of even doing anything at that point? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't make new goals and obviously I'm getting older. So obviously I have to change my goals and whatnot. And like, it was just setting new different goals. Like, okay, I did all this, but what about after? Cause I never want to work a nine to five job. I'm not a nine to five person. You know, I'm, I'm a wrestler. I like being on planes. I like, you know, traveling. I like seeing different cities, you know, um, I don't care if it's Madison square garden or if it's, you know, some farm town in Harrington, Kansas. Um, I like doing this. So I was like, well, what, you know, what do we do? And we can't in ring perform. Cause you know, it's going to happen. That's the thing that wrestlers don't, think of but we do have a shelf life our bodies can only go through so much you know so it's like well what are my goals for after that let's start planning that now you know like okay where can we you know and i want to i want to 
I've taught students in the past for other people. So maybe someday I'll open my own school. I want to do production. You know, I was doing production with Ring of Honor before it got sold. So it's like, okay, I really like doing that. You know, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can train at one of the bigger companies, something, I don't know, you know, but like, it's like, okay, this is where the want more is, but still knowing what I can do physically because I'm getting older, you know, and people, you know, like I said, your body breaks down eventually. It's just different seasons of your life and what things you choose to do in those seasons and, and being realistic as well, you know, and, and not putting yourself into a situation where, you can seriously hurt yourself. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you get to the point where you're like, you know what, my legs are this or that, I think I should be more conscious. No, I'm, I'm following you on that one. Let's go ahead and let's talk about as far as when you were starting to look at wrestling schools. So how did you start your process? Was it literally a, it probably a situation of making phone calls, I would imagine, and sure. just trying to find out who had a school, mm-hmm. who was relatively close. So kind of pick it up from there. It was when I was, you know, um, me and my buddies all got together for pay-per-views and stuff like that. And we we drink and have a good time. And afterwards we go out in the front yard and backyard or whatever, and just start throwing each other around and hitting each other with, you know, stop signs and just being crazy. And one day a guy was there and he goes, Hey, you really like this wrestling stuff. I said, yeah. Was you ever thought about like doing it? And I was like, Whoa, wait, what? He's like, yeah, like my neighbor, they just had a ring set up in my backyard and they had this backyard fed come in and the news was filming Trevor, this guy named Trevor Adonis. And he was teaching them, Hey, you're going to hurt yourself in the backyard. Here's how, let me show you this and try and convince these guys to leave the backyard to actually get trained. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I'd love to meet this guy. So he, he took me over to the, this guy's house named uh, Jet Bennett, who to this day I'm still really good friends with. And I remember knocking on his door at like 11 o'clock at night and he comes to the door kind of like, with like, you know, like, what is going on? Like, who's this guy? And I says, Hey man, I, you know, we started talking. So he gave me a list of every of wrestling schools he knew over people that could help me. And the first uh, number on that list was called steel domain wrestling. And it was run by a steel and Danny dominion. That's where like punk came from and cabana came from. Yeah. Well, I guess they had just had a falling out with each other. So the school was closed. So when I called, I got a voicemail. The, st- the school was closed and I was like, Oh, that sucks. So the next name was Trevor Adonis and he owned a gym for like five minutes from where I was living. So I'm like, Oh, cool. I'll check this out. You know? So I show up and I talk to Trevor and he's like, I'll tell you what, he's like, I'm not going to take all your money at first show up at this place called hog alley on this day and actually today is the 31st so it was may 31st 2000 <laughs> uh you know he's like show up and uh he's like uh pay me the 150 bucks and i'll run you through this little fantasy camp and if you like it and you're okay with it you know i'll, I'll help you out i'll show you where to go i was like okay so i show up it was supposed to be two hours it ended up being four and a half hours long because I just started picking up on stuff and, and you, you, you know, I said it earlier and you said it too. I was coachable. Yeah. I saw that right away. And, and he, the same thing with, you know, with my look and stuff, he's like, okay. And, but he picked up on it and there was me and two other people in this little fantasy camp. One guy quit after the first, I think three bumps we took, he quit. He was like, Nope, I'm done with oh, this. Wow. And the other guy, when we were learning how to hit the ropes and stuff, complained that his um that he had a groin pull 
or something like that. So he ended up sitting out and like he'd come in and try something and then sit out. And like I've never seen either one of them ever since this day. You know what I mean? So it was like four hour, four and a half hours of just me going through all this stuff because to me, I was a kid in a candy store. Like this is the greatest thing in the world. So after we get done and stuff, he's like, well, I have, I have this show tonight, you know, stay here when the guys show up and then, um, you know, we'll talk about money and stuff. I'm like, okay. So he ends up, you know, I end up paying him $1,500 and he ends up training me before shows and stuff like that. And I end up doing some indies and stuff. And Harley had a camp and it was one of those seven day long, like a week long camp where he has WWE, Noah, a bunch of people show up. So I'm like, okay, I'll try this. And I did the camp and stuff and they award a scholarship to the school, um, to Harley's training school. They award some guys to go to Japan for the Noah Dojo, and then some guys get WWE tryouts. That's that's what the prize, I guess you could say, of doing these camps, along oh, with wow. all the knowledge you're getting, because he'd bring in the top guys to teach. You know, like Ricky Steamboat was there, uh, Harley's there, Terry Funk came in, um, a bunch of the Noah guys. You know, Kobashi was there for one. You know, so you learn too. So I ended up getting the scholarship to the school and Harley's like, you know, you need to move to Missouri on all this. And I didn't cause I had kids back home. So a year goes by, I do the camp again. And Harley goes, look, you won it last year. I'm not going to award it to you this year. Even though you deserve it, you need to move to Missouri. You need to do this. This is your next step in, in what you want to do. So I remember getting back and I was talking to Trevor and um, you know, we're drinking stuff and I'm like, man, I really, I want to do this, but I don't know. I have family and all that. And Trevor goes, look, not a lot of people take a leap of faith because leap of faith are exactly what they say. It's a leap of faith. You don't mm-hmm. know if you're going to land on your feet or if you're going to face plant. It was only you can decide that. Your family will understand. Your children are young enough that they will understand you are doing this because this is your dream and you want to provide for them. But you have to take the leap of faith. And he goes, and it's Harley Race. Harley F and race the greatest professional wrestler on God's, you know, green earth. Like you will be literally learning from the best. This is true. I was like, okay. So I ended up moving down and, and being at Harley's for the next four years, learning under Harley. And I'd, I'd be at the school, Harley would get to the school at between 10 and 10 30. And I'd show up half hour after he showed up and I'd spend the whole day there with him. You know, I'd leave, we'd have lunch together. I'd leave to go work out. We'd come back camp would happen i'd stay after camp with joe henning because he joe had so much pressure on him because he had to live up he thought he had to live up to to kurt's image so he right. was always wanting to work and he knew that i always wanted to work so we'd be there camp would get done at eight we'd stay there at 10 11 o'clock at night because he wanted to work in arm drags or drop kicks because he he felt that pressure and i was like yeah no I'll, i'm here like let's do this this is why i'm here and that's that's kind of i always tell people i want to uh, grade school and high school with Trevor. And then I went to college with Harley. So what was Harley like just outside of wrestling? Did he ever just talk to you about life or funny stories or maybe even stories about wrestling or just, just shooting the shit type of deal? He, he was an amazing human being. Um, we would talk everything. He would, he would have life lessons, you know, um, he's the one that taught me how to save money in professional wrestling, you know, um, Trevor had kind of said, Hey, you know, this is how you split up when you start getting a paycheck. And then Harley was like, no, like, let's say you get a $25 payday. You take X amount of dollars for here, X amount of dollars. And then after 
so many $25 paydays, you have saved this much money. You know, I was like, Oh, okay. Like it was a business is what he was teaching me. You know, when you yes. talk to a promoter, don't give them one price, you know, tell them I work for you for this price. But if you give me this many dates, it's this price. If you give me this many dates, it's this price. And then after this many dates, if we're not happy with each other, we just move on. And I was like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, he'd share, we'd watch his old videos, old matches, and he'd break them down. Like, this is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing here. He had, uh, he knew that I loved the old, um, like, wrestling posters and programs and stuff. So he'd pull out his old booking books, the sheets that he used to book uh, wrestling at the chase with. Wow. And he'd open them and had all the dates, and you could see where they'd erase something because something happened, and then, you know, they wrote, would write in, or this guy one was flair two weeks and that meant that he was coming in two weeks. So they had to figure out who to build up to take him on. It was just really cool. And he'd, he'd explain stuff to, you know, to me and it just, it was awesome. It was, you know, it was a dream. And then when we were at training, if he saw something wrong, he couldn't get in the ring with us, but he'd, he'd sit and he'd break it down. And you knew he was really invested if he got up from his chair and walked to the ring, you know, and, and anytime he spoke, you just, you listen. I mean, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I mean, yeah. a great historian and a man who's walked the road so many times, world champion so many times over. And just to he be would able- call us all his kids and he took care of us like we were, we were his family. And I remember one time I couldn't afford my electric bill and then he ended up paying it and not saying anything. Never asked for a dime after that. Never took money on my paydays or anything like, wow. You know, he took care of all of us. We were his kids, you know. So what was that like, you know, being in Missouri, obviously training with Harley, which was great, but then obviously home life, you know, uh, was it a situation of you tried to make trips back and forth or, you know, nightly phone calls? What was that like as far as the whole family dynamic? I would do trips back and forth. It was an eight hour drive. Um, I'd make sure I get bookings back home so that I could, you know, kind of pay for it as I went back. Um, Holidays and stuff. I'd go back. Um, like I said, my kids were really young when I was going through that. So they'd come down and they'd visit me and stuff in the, in the summertime when, you know, no school and stuff. And it was, you know, you did the best you could to make it as normal as possible. You know, um, in Eldon, Missouri, there was nothing to do. You were bored constantly. <laughs> you, you know, that's why I think I got in such great, I got in great shape because, you know, you work out and you wrestle. That's all there was to do and then and drink beer, you know, so that's all we did. But as far as family life, yeah, I was just going back and forth as much as I could. And the kids get it. And now my kids are all grown up and they're all living their dreams. And the best thing I heard was, hey, we, we're just following you. You said it was possible. You showed us it was. And now we're doing it. Wow. Yeah. How friggin' amazing is just that statement? Yeah, it, it makes you feel good because it, it makes up for all the birthdays you miss. And, and you know, and now that I'm I'm in – this part of my career, I can pick and choose dates and stuff. And, and, you know, I was able to watch my, uh, my daughter graduate high school and walk across the stage. My wife just recently graduated college and I got to watch her walk across the stage, you know, and it was like, and then to hear them say, Hey, no, we get why you were gone. Like to them, I was just a sale, like a door to door salesman, you know, or over, you know, over the road trucker or something like that. Like, Oh yeah. Dad's at work. Like, (laughs) you know, like, they got it. And when we were Ring of Honor, I was traveling even more. Like, they got it. And then, then they had to put up with, like, people knowing me and talking about me, but them not letting on that that's their dad. Like, there was one time my son was on a bus, and, and two buddies were talking about the Beer City Bruiser, and 
he did all this stuff. And my son goes, man, he, that guy's just a total asshole. Like, I, was, I can't stand that guy. And then, but they didn't, they didn't know that he was my son. So right. my son was, was on the wrestling team and I showed up and his buddies were on the wrestling team. Oh my God, look who's here. Look who's here. He's like, oh yeah, that's my dad. And he walked over and gave me a hug and stuff. And Wow. Kayfabe them all the way. Yeah, to, them, to, to the kids, it's just like, you know an everyday thing they don't they always bring me back to being just dad you know like you yes. can be out someplace and fans can come up and then my kids will be like yeah whatever you know let <laughs> <laughs> me 20 bucks I need this you know they definitely keep you humbled yes well i'm i'm trying to be as humble as i can because that's the one thing that harley and trevor are always they were humble and if if anybody had a reason to have a big head i think you know harley had a reason <laughs> but he was still the cool you know real humble and real nice so you're training, you're going through all this, you're learning so many things from Harley, and you're getting such an education. And you talked about being college. I mean, it's if you're going to have a professor, my God, that's the Harvard of, of training right there. How was it finding early bookings? Was it something where were you taught also as far as, okay, how do I conduct myself when I introduce myself? I would assume that generation, especially with Harley, was was it was it shake hands and, and you know introduce yourself to everybody? Was it be quiet and have a seat? What was your uh, upbringing, if you will, when it came to hey, you're going to be on a show? How do you conduct yourself when you walk in the door? I was always taught when you when you show up, find the vets, go shake their hand first, and then make sure everybody knows you from from everybody in the locker room anybody that sets up the ring any of the sound guys ring announcer referee everybody go and, and shake their hand because you never know who is part of what you know so I, I was always taught that and then and then harley was the same way you know respect everybody shake your hand it, it was amazing to see when we go places with harley like if we do extra work for wwe and we'd be in the locker room and we'd go do our we'd all leave to go say our hellos and stuff and we'd come back and there'd be a line of guys to shake Harley's hand. And I was like, man, you know, and, and I remember Darren Wade leans over and goes, well, you know why he's got that? And I said, yeah, I kind of get it. He goes, because of what we're doing is how he earned all that, you know, and someday we're going to, you know, it's all about earning that. Yes. Full circle. You know, I was like, I never thought of that way, but yeah, that makes sense. You know? So that's, that's how I was brought in. So when, when it comes to wrestling, and, and it's not important dollars and cents, but, you know, obviously early days, payoffs might not be a whole lot. We, we've heard stories from different wrestlers where, you know, it might even be just a hot dog and a Coke or just enough to get to pay for your gas. Um, and then obviously as your career continues on and continues on, it really makes you appreciate those humble beginnings to be able to get to a point where you eventually became, you know, well-known and then obviously even bigger with, with ring of honor. Um, when you look at those early beginnings, what are some fond memories outside of Harley that you have? Was there any camaraderie that you had with anybody in particular, or were there any really cool special moments when you were first breaking in? Yeah, I have a lot actually. Um, I got really close to a couple of guys that we just traveled. Cause it was like you said, like I was brought in that wrestling is a business. So you should do everything you can to make money. And when you first start off, you're not going to make any money because promoters don't pay rookies. You know, they, they try to get away with the hot dog and handshake or, or something, you know, and I was taught, you got to figure out how to make money. You know, that's what wrestling is, make money. So I was like, okay. And that's where I learned, like, um, we always called it the hustle. You know, you try to get yourself booked as much as you can during the, the weekend. Cause 
maybe it's $10 paydays, but three $10 paydays is, you know, 30 bucks type thing. And and I got, I met a guy named uh, Jimmy and he had the same like thinking that I did like, Hey, we got to do what we can to make money, you know, whether it be selling action figures at the merch table, you know, whatever t-shirts we can sell, stuff like that. And we, you know, we're really good friends to this day. And then Trevor, I just remember Trevor, I'd always go and he's the one that taught me, you will learn more about professional wrestling in the bar or in the car than you will in any school or any wrestling ring out there. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, that's how in the old days they they teach each other. They do the shows, then they get in the car, they drive to the next town and they would teach each other. Like you did this wrong, this, this didn't work, this didn't work. He goes, or they go to the bar. And they drink. And, and the more the vets drank, the more they wanted to explain why you do stuff. I was like, really? So I always carried that to this day. So anytime someone would bring a, a vet in, you know, I'd be like, hey, I'll, I'll drive them, you know. And then I'll say, hey, you want to go get a beer? Okay, cool. And then, you know, you buy them a beer and you sit and you listen to them from that. And that's how you learn, you know. And, and I've heard that from numerous people that that's how you're going to learn the most in professional wrestling. So it all became because of Trevor, like – hanging out with Trevor and, and it was funny because I always used to tell I, I have actually two really good friends James and Sean that I, I trained in wrestling and I always tell them they always call them Uncle Trevor I says hey go buy Uncle Trevor a Jack and Coke ask him one question and then sit and keep your ears open and if it's less than an hour I'll buy your drinks all night long and like, wow. sure, okay. they'd come back two or three hours later and go oh my god like <laughs> I've learned so much and I'm like yeah that's that's the thing, you know, they want to, you know, they want to pass it forward, pay it forward. And, and like I said, I, I, you know, uh, some name would come in and be like, Hey, I'll drive them. Like they can get in my car. <laughs> and I remember when Brian and I did NWA, um, we show up and the rock and roll express were there and they go, Hey, you two got, you, you two got a car. And we're like, no, the hotel's only a block away. So we walked and they're like, we have a car, jump in our car. Okay. It's a block, <laughs> but we ended up driving around, you know, going to get some beer and stuff like that. But then we were, we spent the whole night, well, the whole weekend with them. With and the just, Rock and Roll Express. I mean. Yeah, and we were we were a new upcoming tag team. So all we did was, you know, and, and just listen. And, and, you know, at that point in time, Brian and I have been wrestling each for 20 years. And we still learned something to, that, to this day that we both use, you know. And it was all because it was, oh, yeah, we'll get in your car, <laughs> you know, go get some beer. Would you say for the most part, most people in the business, because I've met so many kind people and so many wonderful people, there are 99.9% more kind people than there are, I would say, bitter people. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems like from my experience talking to wrestlers, if you are, you ingratiate yourself to them, they will absolutely give it back to you tenfold. Uh, you show respect to them, they'll show respect back to you. And it seems like it's just this, like you said before, it's it's almost like this um, water mill. You know, this cycle just kind of keeps going. You know what I mean? And it's neat to hear stuff like that because that's how the business continues on by people passing these these stories on to each other and the car rides together. Do you feel like maybe fast forwarding real fast before we go backwards again? Do you feel like some of that is lost nowadays with the current generation when you talk to certain wrestlers now that that feeling of camaraderie or sitting at the bar or sitting in the car is not there? Or do you think it's just as much? It, it depends. Um, 
I've been on in um, since Ring of Honor got sold. I've been on a lot of indie shows, and I've noticed it's a lot different than when I was before. Um, when I was on the indie shows before, even if you didn't drink, you went to the bar afterwards to hang out with the guys, you know. And and like I said, that's where you learn. And nowadays, a lot of guys don't want to do that, you know. And I it, it's kind of blew my mind because like when we're in Ring of Honor, we're family. Like you hear that word tossed around a lot, but we were family. Like we were all close when. The last show we did, uh, you know, I remember a lot of people crying and hugging and stuff, and it was never a goodbye. It was always see you later. But it was, like, so many pictures and so many memories, and it's like, man, we're never going to do this again or this again. Or, like, when the pandemic started, um, all of us that were in Vegas were like, hey, if this is the end of the world, let's do it together. Let's go out. And we spent every day until we all flew home, you know, we sent Friday to Sunday, not knowing what's going to happen. Cause it was the middle of the, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic. None of us knew, but we, we were happy because we were all together. And that's why I say it was a family. We were all tight, you know, and it's great when I'm now that we're doing Indies and I do the Indies with some of the ring of honor guys, it's like, okay, cool. Like let's hang out, <laughs> you know, like and go out afterwards. And it, it blows my mind that there's not a lot of guys wanting to go out. I don't care if they want to go out with me and stuff, but like, if you have a Jay Lethal there, why wouldn't you go out with Jay Lethal? Why wouldn't you want to sit and pick his brain? You know what I mean? That's how you're going to learn. And, and I notice that's a lot different. I don't know what they're doing now as far as hanging out and stuff like that. And I know a lot of stuff, social media and all that. But it doesn't take away from, you know, like almost every indie show nowadays has a legend on it. These young kids should be like, hey, even if they don't drink, hey, let me take you back to the hotel, let's go to the hotel bar, I'll buy you a beer, and just ask them questions, you know, and learn, and they can tell you from their experience, and I just, I don't see that a lot nowadays, and I don't know why, I don't want to say it's all because this new generation thinks they know it all and all that, I don't want to sound like a bitter old vet, I just, I don't understand, I just know that when I see young kids, and every person that I, you know, it's my generation, still tries to talk to the young kids, like, hey, this is what you need to work on, this is what you did wrong, you know, and stuff like that. Do you think in any way some of the, the up-and-comers are maybe, A, intimidated to talk to a, a seasoned veteran, especially somebody who's been all over the world and on TV, or B, do you think that sometimes these younger up-and-coming talent feel like, oh, these guys don't want to be bugged about this again? They've probably been asked this question 100,000 times. Do you think that could be a reason, or being that person who's been there, done that, all these things, are you still welcoming, hey, ask me whatever, pick my brain, or is there a point where you're like, okay, I'm I'm done talking about it for right now? I, I never get tired of talking about wrestling. You know, my wife yells at me, especially where you're at a show, because <laughs> you're always the last one to change. Well, yeah, because I have a million people asking me questions, like, and I want to be polite, you know. Harley was polite. Trevor was polite. I want to, you know, I want to help. Um, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Like you said, the intimidation, I know intimidation is a big thing, especially when you're young, you know, um, I actually was talking to Bob Evans about this because it, it, it blew my mind with, I don't get why nowadays kids don't really work the crowd. And Bob goes here, here's my theory. So this is a Bob Evans theory. And I agree a hundred percent when I broke in, or like, you know, guys, my generation, when we broke in, the territories was still a thing. You still had AWA, NWA, Texas, all that. So you had the territory guys. So when they got the TV exposure, they did the best they could to get the crowd involved because that's what they did every night. If you take a kid 
that's starting now, his exposure, the territories are long gone. The Monday Night Wars are over. They're being broken with guys that just know how to work TV. They don't work with the crowd. They don't do all the stuff that we we did. It's not their fault because they're young, but that's just the generation that, you know, and you got to convince them to go back to watch the territory stuff because that was working and stuff like that. And you got to kind of nudge them. Hey, don't be intimidated. Go talk to that guy. Like I, I've been asked the same question a million times. I get it. But I was also that kid asking that same question to somebody else before me. You know what I mean? Even though they were asked a million times and they still answered for me. So I will answer you. And and 99% of the vets out there will answer you. You know, they will give you advice. It's not going to be advice you want to hear. You know, it's not going to be all positive. It's going to be what you need to work on, but they'll do it because we all care about professional wrestling. And in order for professional wrestling to go on, we got to pass along the knowledge. That brings up a really good point. Let me ask you this. When you started training and, and obviously then started doing your, your matches, uh, did you immediately after your match go out to seek some guidance or was it a situation of like, what did you think about this or how did I do that? Do you think I could have did this better? Or was that something where even if you were young, you were still invited to be to the bar with, with all of the more seasoned veterans? Would it be appropriate for a young person to to approach veterans at that stage of a career and say, hey, what did you think X, Y, and Z? I always asked, I was taught real early, ask someone if you want someone's opinion, ask them to watch your match if they're of that. So if I had, if we had legends or something on the show, I'd walk up, Hey, do you mind watching my match? You know, and there are times, Oh no, my match is after yours, but you know, we can, you send it to me or something. Okay, cool. Like, and then when you get done, you come back and Hey, I, I ask right away, you know, what'd you think? What do I need to work on? And, and what was great was in ring of honor. It got to the point where guys kind of knew that was my mentality so I'd, I'd ask them and every show I'd ask, Hey, watch my, and I, you know, they no, yeah, we will. And then it got to the point where like, just stop asking us. We're going to watch your match anyways. And that's how I became really close to like a Jay Lethal or, or bully Ray or something. Cause I knew that I, they knew that they could be honest with me about what I need to work on, you know, because I came up and I, I said, Hey, you know, I, I always came up right after, you know, to, to find out what was going on. You know, what can I work on? How was it? You know, and I, I still, to this day, I'll come in the back and if I see somebody I trust, you know, Hey, what'd you think? You know, how was it? So I always, you know, I tell these young kids, if you want me to watch your match, ask me, you know, very rarely do I go out of my wakes. We're so, I'm so busy before a show, but like ask me, or I've had people, Hey, I'm, you didn't get to see my match, but can I send it to you? Yeah, sure. Send it to me. I'll watch it. You know, and I'll, I'll say, Hey, I'll, you know, Give me a week, you know, because I'm busy, but I'll, I will watch it and I will send you an honest critique, you know, and I've, I've done that for a few guys. Do you feel like sometimes we're talking about this current generation here and, and how maybe just the socialization isn't where it used to be? And what I mean by that is the cell phones, the video games, all this other stuff that where you were brought up, it was let's all sit around and talk. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of a common thread now in society today. No one sits around and talks. No, they it's, don't. It's, it's always the phone and the texting and whatnot. And I feel like that is a really almost a tribal thing that was a big part of wrestling that is kind of fallen by the wayside. Have you ever come across, without naming any names, but but people who uh, just kind of rub you the wrong way when now that you're a veteran and you you see them and – they kind of have this air about them as if, oh, no, I've I've got this mastered so far. 
Do, do you find that that happens more often than not, or maybe not so much? Not so much, but I do experience it. My biggest pet peeve with this new generation, I call them the yeah butts, where they want you to watch their match, so you watch it, and you go, why'd you do that? Well, yeah, but, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but, you know, they're all, they always want to have an excuse. It's like, you don't, I don't, I'm not, it's a rhetorical question. I'm, you know, I want to see what you're thinking. Well, you know, this is my critique. Like, you asked me to watch your match. This is what you need to work on, you know, and there's a lot of the yeah, but, and you get to know those really quick where like when you show up to the locker room, like, okay, this guy, he's a yeah, but <laughs> like, and then you kind of find, look, find out from real, like, yeah, he's gonna, he, you know, he's been given the same advice six times, you know, and he won't change it. Like, okay, cool. Like, I still give them my critique. You know what I mean? Like they asked me, but I think it's like you said, it's, it's at the cell phones and stuff. I've, I've come back in, in to locker rooms and I've seen, I was on a show with a uh, Hakun Kobe Baba Horton. And like they were sitting in their own little corner, and I walked over and said hi and was talking to them. And like the whole other locker room was sitting there on their phone. I'm like, Yeah, aren't you guys over here talking to them? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> at least making them feel comfortable <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Like, that was the cool thing about Ring of Honor is we'd all sit in the locker room and talk. You know, we, we, oh, you know, uh, you're doing this this weekend. Awesome. Oh, you guys are buying a new house. Way to go. Oh, you know, you know, it was stuff like that. And, and, I realized that's how I knew, okay, we're really close. And that's how I can tell when you walk into a locker room nowadays, like you can tell it's a pretty solid locker room. If everyone's sitting around talking instead of on their phones, you know, putzing and doing whatever. Yeah. We talked to a lot of young wrestlers and we find out that a lot of them, the minute they're matching, you've probably seen this before a mm-hmm. hundred times. Uh, they're, they jump immediately onto social media to see what the crowd said or, yeah to see, you know what I mean? If something yep. was trending or if, if somebody commented on tweeting and, and it should be like you said before, ask the people in the locker room, the people who actually, their opinion is actually worth something instead of just a, a bunch of goofy or people. Listen to the crowd during your match. If you're having a good match, the crowd will let you know. There's, there isn't a crowd out there that I haven't been in front of that hasn't cheered or booed. You know what I mean? They the crowd nowadays are real vocal <laughs> and what, you know, they've always been vocal, but that's how you can tell if your match was good or not is the, the people that paid, if you, you know, I always tell guys too, like you're in an armory and <laughs> you know, somewhere in Alabama, like you're not on WrestleMania. You're not on TV right now. You're not on a pay-per-view you're wrestling for 150 people. You know, those are the people that you should care about their opinion. If your match was good or not. And they should tell you right away because if you're the heel, they're going to boo you. And if you're a babyface, they're going to cheer you. And at the end of the match, they're either going to be really happy because the babyface won, or they're going to be really mad because the heel won. That's what you need to look at. And then you can find there's guys in the locker room that have been there for years. Walk up and ask them, you know, then get on your social media and find out, like, you're not going to trend at a armory show in Alabama, you know, unless you do something completely insane. And usually when people do something completely insane, it's not a good trend. <laughs> no, not at all. That's not the kind of attention you want to attract yourself. Yeah. And trust me, guys in the the higher ups, you, they want to see a social media following, which is great. And that's why you should have your social media posted anywhere you can to get followers and stuff. But they also want to see you have good matches. <laughs> you know, if you're worried if your match is good enough for Twitter, like it's not, you know, the big companies don't care about that, you know? So you mentioned before when you used the example of Hakeem and the boss man and the mega powers and, 
and how you realized after talking to Harley and, and, and now looking back being a veteran, oh, that's what they're doing. They're working the crowd. They're larger than life. Um, is that hard to do? I guess what I mean by that is if you're not a super outgoing person, for example, Jerry, Jerry Lynn, he is a very shy person. Mikey Whipwreck, very shy person. It is not their normal disposition to just ham it up, if you will. Mm-hmm. Is that hard to do, to learn, to try to do all this stuff if it doesn't feel natural? I think what guys have to learn is, because I, I have real bad social anxiety. I I didn't I don't like being in front of crowds. And I was told at a young age, in order to combat that, get yourself in front of, you know, it's your worst fear, get in front of it. What helps me is when I'm wrestling, I'm a character. You know, it's not me that people love or hate. It's this character. You can take, you know, Jerry Lynn or Mikey Whipwreck. They're characters. They're yes. not the actual people that you're going out with afterwards to have a meal with or when they're at home playing with their dog, you know, that's a character. So if you go out and you're trying something and you're embarrassed to do that, like, first of all, if you're embarrassed to perform, you're out there in basically your underwear. <laughs> like, you don't need to be embarrassed. Like, there's not, you know, but go out there. And, and I always tell guys, once you walk into – out the curtain you're a character you're somebody else you know like if you're a, a canadian heel and you start saying you hate america but you're really in real life in america does that mean you really hate america no that means your character hates america to get these people to hate you you know so i always try to tell people that are real they get nervous and afraid to be in front of crowds and that's why i was but you're not going in front of the crowd your character is going in front of the crowd and, and that helps me, and I've, I've noticed a lot of other guys, too, it's helped. Um, there are some guys, too. I've, I've met guys that the only way they can perform is if they're wearing a mask. Oh, and wow. so they have a hooded gimmick. I've, I've asked guys, like, why do you have a hooded gimmick? Oh, I can't. If I take this off, it's all gone. I was like, really? And then I'd see it, and I'd be like, oh, wow. But that's their way of dealing with whatever anxiety comes with it, you know? Let me ask you this. Psychology in wrestling, we often hear about that phrase used a lot, and mm-hmm. – when someone says psychology to the Beer City Bruiser, what is that? You know, when a student asks you or when someone asks you, you have good psychology or you need to work on your psychology. What do they mean by that? Um, I, I think it, people need to re- remember that when it comes to professional wrestling, it's not hard. It, the psychology is simple. It's good versus evil. The man in, you know, bu- uh, Bully always says the man in the black hat versus the man in the white hat. Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader, God versus Satan, you know, it, that's what it is. And that's what story you should be trying to tell. Uh, One thing I liked about Harley is he told us that you have to evolve with wrestling because wrestling evolves, you know, when it first started, it was, you know, three matches on a card, each guy going 40 minutes of just chain wrestling, but the crowds got that. Then all of a sudden you had the guy, one guy decided to go to the top rope and jump off and, so it had to evolve. And then you had the guy doing drop kicks and had to evolve. And then you had the, you know, now here we are today where it's like a lot of guys complain because it's all these spots and all that. It's like you can do all the high flying stuff. Just make it make sense within your story. Right. And your story simple. It's good versus evil. Even if you have two good guys going at it, one of you still got to be the bad guy, like the, the more aggressive guy. And I always bring up, because uh, again, I'm a big comic book fan. Civil War, 
the Marvel Civil War. Your two team captains were Captain America and Iron Man, both good guys. But Iron Man had to be kind of a dick, <laughs> you know. Did you hate him? No, but you wanted Captain America to beat the crap out of him. And I always try because guys are like, oh, I hate baby versus baby. It's so hard. It's hard, but it can be possible. You know, you just got to get them to like him more than you. Doesn't mean they have to hate you, but for these, you know, 10 minutes here in the ring, they got to believe you, you know, that you guys, there's something between you two. There's a beef and it needs to be settled this way. WrestleMania six. Exactly. Yep. You know, and, and like I said, wrestling's easy. We make it hard to overthink it. And when people talk psychology, I always tell them that, Hey, it's, it's good versus evil. No matter how you break it down, it's the oldest story in the book. You go all the way back to the, you know, in the Bible, like I said, God versus Satan, Cain versus Abel. It's always good versus evil. It's been told a million times in just different variations. Yep. And it's our job to go out there and tell that story. And, and guys forget that. They, they want to hear the, they want to do the moves and all that. And like I said, you can do the moves. Just make it make sense within your story. And I think that's a big knock on current wrestling, like you said before, that everybody wants to get their stuff in. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, I'm just a wrestling fan, but I've talked to many wrestlers and I've sat and I've listened to what they said. And Jerry has said this to me. Mikey has said this to me. Uh, oh my gosh. So many different people have said, it's not about getting all your stuff in. No. It, it, Jerry was telling me one time, he said he was doing a match and he said, we set up a table in the ECW arena. He goes, and everybody was waiting for it and we teased it and we teased it, but we didn't go to it. Mm-hmm. And he said, sometimes you got to not give them something that they want because you got to give them something when they come back again. And it's, it's just as a fan, you don't think that way because you're not in the industry. But then when someone in the industry tells you, it's mm-hmm. like this huge light bulb goes off and it's like, Oh my God, that makes sense. This is storytelling. This is money-making. This is the way this is supposed to go instead of just this instant gratification. And um, man, it is, it, it, from a fan perspective, it is so enjoyable to to talk to you guys and hear what you guys have to say because it's uh, it's a lot deeper and it's more enjoyable hearing it from you than it is from uh, your buddy next door. Um, let me ask you this: Crazy Road Stories. I know okay. we're kind of jumping around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just cr- something weird, something wild. We uh, we talked to a, rest- a couple wrestlers and they they talked about um, one of them was a hunter and. They found a dead deer on the side of the road and they picked it up and threw it in the back of their, their truck. And <laughs> um, they decided to go ahead and field dress it right then and there. And the ice they had for their beer, they would throw the fillets in there as well. And after it was over, they went ahead and ate it. So maybe not that crazy, but what any crazy story, I mean, obviously you can keep names out and, and protect the innocent, but that you just scratched your head afterwards and you went, what in the hell just <laughs> If if I was not here live, I would not have believed this if somebody was telling me this story. Uh, yeah, I've got a few of those. Um, one of them is we got uh, a group of us fought a whole town. Um, I've done that a couple of times. Yeah, you're gonna oh be funny. God. So the one, the first one, we the, the first I, think, I remember it was the first second time we had to fight a town, but there was one time where we had a falling out with a promoter. It was a group of people I used to travel with. Um, it was me, the two guys I mentioned earlier, James and Sean, who were uh, uh, students of mine, a girl named Stacy Shadows, who did Women of Honor for a while, and, and I trained, helped train her and stuff. Um, my wife 
and a buddy named Nick Clucci who actually helped me come up with the name Beer City Bruiser. And uh, we had a falling out with a promoter, and he's like, well, hey, he smoothed things out with us. He's like, I'd like to introduce you guys at the show. I have the show coming up. It's an outdoor festival fair show. You know, um, show up, act like you're going to buy tickets. I'll, my wife will be running the gate. She'll just comp you in. I'll have two cases of beer for you there. Get a seat in the front or second row and just be fans. And then during the main event, I want you guys to run in, you know, throw the two guys out, cut a promo, saying you're back and whatever. We're like, okay, yeah, sure, we can do that. And he's like, I'm only going to smarten up the two guys in the match. We're like, okay, that's fine. Like, as long as security doesn't – and he's like, I don't – you'll be fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> so we're there, and and, and uh, we're, you know, we're drinking, we're having a good time, and we're all getting into it and just being fans. And, and there's these bikers around us, and they're like, man, these guardrails can't protect these guys. Like, somebody should jump these guardrails and beat these guys. And we're like, somebody should, but not right now. Like, they, you should wait. Like – because we knew we had the safety of the guys in the ring, you know what I mean? Like they didn't know we were plants, but like we still have, you still sure. want to protect the guys, right? But the whole show we're doing this and we're drinking more and more and more, and finally it comes to our cue. So we slide in the ring, we beat up the two guys and threw them out. Now they knew about it, but the locker room didn't. So the locker room thought we were just being drunk, and we had a falling out with the promoter earlier. So they thought we were coming after the promoter. We were trying to hijack the show, which oh. I'm totally against, but. Promoter was doing this, so they came running out, and and as they're getting in the ring, we're trying to get on them, going, "Hey, it's a work, like it's a work. We're supposed to be here, and we're we're trying." And there's there's they pull weapons out, like there's a tra- a chair came flying out of nowhere. A buddy of our mine caught it one handed. There's a picture of him catching it one handed, put it down and sitting. And so they they end up letting us cut a promo, and I he's before when I was talking to promoter, I'm like, "Hey, cut the promo off at this point." Right. And then it looks like we're you're turning our mic off and all that. So I start my promo and stuff and right away get on the bikers and, and get them going and then like the town going and we're just <laughs> we're doing this promo and like and we look around and we forgot we're in a street festival. So we're completely surrounded on all four sides by all oh, these people. Oh, no. And they had the rails, but everybody had pushed the rails up at that point. And there we're like okay and all of a sudden you know comes to the point he cuts my mic off before i say something so we're trying to sell it and like right away it hits us like how are we going to get out of here like they don't the entrance way where the wrestlers would come in they'd broken through and now the crowd was completely around us and my wife was still in the front row and i'm like i don't care what we have to do we have to get to her they're gonna figure out she's with us like she was sitting with us the whole time oh no so the we're, we're kind of like yelling at the promoter. I'm like, what do you want? You know, and he, so he makes an announcement. You guys can leave. We'll guarantee you free pet way out of yada. So like, as we're getting out, the kind of like part the seasons we're going along. And uh, this lady jumps in front of me and goes to spit at me. And I move and I grab her glasses and I snap her glasses and she goes to throw her beer on me and ends up hitting my wife. And so we end up getting through and running and it, it's, <sighs> This is where I'd, I can't believe this happened, but you can ask anybody that was with us because the same, story is the same. We were running down the street, and this picture of a big mob chasing the people. And that was that was them chasing us. And, and my buddy goes, quick, into here? And we dip into this bar. And during the street festival, they had a bridge tournament going on too. So when we go in this bar, 
it's like a bunch of like 80 and 90 year old <laughs> men and women. And it's like, there was no record, but you could hear a record scratch and all of them turn and look. And right away, my buddy goes back door and the bartender points. He's like, thank you. And we all run through the back door. It's like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And we get back to the car. We're like, Oh man, that was awesome. Like no one's going to believe this happened. I hope they recorded it. Like and we're all like on cloud nine. Then it hits us. Wait a minute. Sean was on the show. He's in the locker room. They know he's with us. We have to go get him. So we ended up sneaking back. Yeah. So we sneak around and we get in the locker room and all the guys are mad because they, you know, we're like, Hey, this is it. And so the promoter had to come in and explain to them what was going on. And we ended up going out afterwards and, and smoothing it out with like the wrestlers and stuff like that. So then we ended up coming back to Pulaski and the sellout show and, they were pissed off like the crowd we you know ended up losing and all that and make them happy but it was it was it was worth it wow so, yeah, that's that's one of my crazy road stories that's real heat right there yeah that's one of the first times we've actually all of us actually experienced real organic like heat like oh my god this is heat and like it was recorded and we show people the video like hey this is you know because you can see them throwing stuff and, like it, it was, it's like, wow, I, I get the addiction to this. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, like Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Hogan must've been on cloud nine in July, you know, when Hogan turned, cause it, it you, just, you, you know, that's what we're always chasing. Is that you can feel it. It's, 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 it's it is a high. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the crazy stories. So that's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. so, so many things you're in a profession that allows you to make so many memories mm-hmm. a good and bad no matter what you want to call them but they're memories nonetheless and they're ones that literally you'll never forget and every time you tell it it becomes like you were just there wow yeah yeah it's, it's great another another rule i'll do a quick one um with ring of honor salas and i were a tag team we always flew up we lived like 20 minutes apart before i moved so we'd always fly together and we were waiting to get on a plane to go to Pittsburgh and the Milwaukee Brewers were actually in Pittsburgh playing the pirates and Braun had gotten hurt like two days before. So they flew him back to Milwaukee to get an MRI on his thumb. So he was flying back and he was on our flight. And so I went and I took a leak and that's where I saw him. I'm like, Oh cool. Ryan Braun, you know, I'm walking back and I saw him following me like, Oh, he's on our flight. So I go, Salas, <laughs> Ryan Braun's on our flight. And I'm a big brewer fan. Right. I'm like, hey man, Ryan Braun's on our flight. He's like, <laughs> it's like, watch this. I'm like, okay. Oh, no. This was during the time when Silas had uh, the knee brace. He was wearing the knee brace because yes. he injured his knee. He was wrestling with lethal and stuff. And so he had the knee brace on his, his gear bag. And we're walking in. And Braun, of course, is first class. He's sitting there. And we walk in. Silas stops the whole line of people. Looks right at Braun and goes, hey, Braun. Braun looks up and he goes, Real men work through injuries, you pussy. And he tapped on his knee brace and kept walking. Oh my god, how am I not filming this? Like, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, so like, right when I got to the locker, I'm telling everybody, and everybody's like, Yeah, that's Silas. (laughs) Like, you filmed it, right? I'm like, I didn't know he was gonna say that. (laughs) Oh my god, you just never know. Yeah, that was just one of those things where, like, oh, and it's a memory that'll always live on. Last time I saw him, I even came. Remember that time with Ryan Braun? He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna work through it. And she's like, Yeah, <laughs> wow. So, you, you've done so many things. You've done the Ring of Honor thing. 
we kind of touched upon it before. Tell me a little bit more about the Madison Square Garden experience, because I know that was such a big thing for you, and it was a big bucket list. So how did that all come to come to play? I mean, I know we heard that, you know, Cody and the Bucks and all that were, were very instrumental people within that company as well. Do you feel like those individuals were also very much team players as well within the company, or was that kind of separate? They they separated themselves where they'd have their own little locker room, and it kind of was driving guys apart. Um, Madison Square Garden, I don't think they were a part of that. I think they were gone at that point, weren't they? Well, I mean, as far as, as helping Ring of Honor get to that point. They definitely helped Ring of Honor grow, you know, um, the Bucks for sure helped help Ring of Honor grow. And then adding Cody, you know, definitely helped it grow. Um, I also think the relationship Ring of Honor had with New Japan and AAA and CMLL really helped it grow too. Because Absolutely. New Japan was the hottest thing forever when they were on Access TV. Like, everybody, you know, everybody loved it. And Ring of Honor, like, they, everyone knew to be – you could only see the New Japan guys exclusively at Ring of Honor, you know. And uh, the Bullet Club and stuff like that, like, was a huge thing, too. I, I, know, I remember when Kenny Omega came, like, that was huge when he was here, you know. And uh, Madison Square Garden was just a dream come true. Like, I remember when they first announced, they were there was a rumor it was going to happen. You know how it starts out. It's a rumor. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Oh, they were going to Madison Square Garden. It's a rumor. Then it was a rumor Vince is shutting it down. And then... Finally, we got the email like, no, this is happening, you know, and, and then talking to, to Hunter Delirious, and he's like, no, you guys are on it. Like, I'm going to figure out a way to get you guys on it. And it's like, all right. And then when the graphic came out, like, it's like, oh, my God, this is really happening. And then doing the fan fest and then getting to the building, and, and I had to do an autograph signing because I had my own cigars for a while. And it was by Martina Cigars, and they were they were two blocks away from MSG. So I did an autograph signing there and then, walk, then went over for call time at MSG. And I remember riding up the elevator and just looking up and it's like, man, I'm here, you know, like this is it. And uh, the entrance normally Brian and I would come through the crowd. And so we said, Hey, did you want us to do that? They're like, no, we want you to go out on the stage and take a second and like absorb it, you know? And if you watch the entrance, like when I walk out, I'm like, okay, this is it. <laughs> this is cool. And uh, I, I Bucks and Cody definitely had a huge impact on getting the popular it was, but I don't think it was just them. I think it was also the new Japan relationship, you know, and uh, bringing in like GOD and Kenny and stuff like that. So when it comes to ring of honor, I mean, when you finally heard that things were changing, obviously the pandemic had a big deal to do with that. And it was very difficult. Um, when did word start coming out that people were going to be released from their contract to explore other options? Um, did people just start calling each other going, Hey, have you been notified? Have you been notified? How did that all go down? No, it, um, the first thing is that ring of honor was amazing during the pandemic because they took care of all of us. I never missed a paycheck with ring of honor and we would release those happy hours every week. And Mandy Leone is a godsend. She ran their social media during the pandemic and everything was on social media during the pandemic. And she did amazing doing that. And I remember I'd always send her the happy hours. Oh my God, thank you so much. You know, and 
Ring of Honor 100% took care of all of us during the pandemic. And, and I couldn't be more thankful for them for that. You know, it's because of them. My wife and I were able to buy a car and a house, you know, um, as far as finding out. So we had gotten before during the pandemic, they'd always do these um, uh, town meetings, town hall meetings where we'd all meet over Zoom and they'd go over, you know, upcoming TVs coming up. Here's the matches. Here's what everyone's doing. Here's protocols for COVID. Here's the hotel. And they'd always update us on everything that was going on as far as COVID and all that. So this was our normal town hall meeting before the November tapings and we're all showing up and nobody had any idea anything was going on. We're like, okay, cool. We got TV and we got, you know, pay-per-view. And they told us they were going to take time off after final battle. They're like, we're going to go on hiatus and then we'll be back in April. They had told us that already. So in the meeting, after everything gets done, they're like, um, okay, anyone that's not under contract needs to get off the call now all contracted personnel stay on. Okay. So they give us some time and then they're like, you know, um, because of the hiatus as of January, if your contract is a year or whatever, as of January 1st, your contract's null and void. If you have two or more years as of March 1st, your contract will be null and void. And they're like, feel free to work other places because um, that, that right away brought up a lot of questions. And one was, can we work somewhere else? And they're like, you can, you can now work other places. If you want to be released from your contract earlier to sign somewhere else, we're willing to do that. We'll talk to you about it. You know, you, you can do your indie bookings and everyone's available. And it's like, okay, like, so we have, you know, we find this out in November and we still have tapings going on. And I remember those tapings were just weird. Cause it's like, we all kind of got fired, <laughs> you know, but we didn't cause we're still here and we still have a pay-per-view and then the pay-per-view, all of us are together. Like, well, we'll be back in April. We'll figure it out. And then nobody knew about the sale until I remember dynamite. Tony Khan came out and made the announcement and I had just, my wife had just had me flipping channels. We just came on to him like, Oh, let's see what Tony's surprises this week. And he, he said it. And I looked at her and she looked at me and then, Next thing you know, my phone's going crazy, and we're all just trying to figure out what is going on. Like, nobody knew. Nobody. You know, and then I remember talking to, like, Kerry Silken, and he's like, this is what I, you know, and then it's find out who knows what and stuff like that. And now here we are, <laughs> you know, and I don't know anything about Ring of Honor. I've, I've talked to a couple people in AEW, but I don't know anything official. So it's basically just still waiting to find out what's going to happen next. No, I've uh, I've been taking indie bookings. Um, actually, been real successful on indie bookings, um, and, and still working hard. And you know, I've seen a couple guys show up on AEW, which is great. You know, um, I, I've seen some guys, you know, get WWE tryouts, which is great. And I'm just basically doing the indies right now. And I'm, I'm I, I look at this time period right now as like this is my Brody time period. This is my time to float around. And, Sure. Do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. See what I can do. Are you hopeful that a lot of you guys will get phone calls to come back to the the new version of Ring of Honor? Or it'd be it'd be cool. I, I want everyone to make money. You know, if they call me, you know, I'm available. I'm here. <laughs> I'll come back. Um, you know, but it's not like I think I'm at that point in my career now where I'm not going to actively, 
you know, I'm friends with QT. I'm friends with a couple guys there. So it's like I message him, like, hey, you know, what's going on? But it's not like, oh, my God, I'll come and I'll do extra work and I'll fly myself here. You know what I mean? Like, it, right. it, that's where I'm at. You know, and and uh, I've seen a couple guys, you know, uh, I think it's Vinny and Taven and Bennett and all of them at Impact, which is awesome. Good for them. Caprice is getting around, which I'm really happy. He's a real good friend of mine. I'm real happy he's getting to NWA, AEW, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm just right now at this point real happy for my friends, and I'm still making money on the indies. So still wrestling, having a good time. Would I like to get back in front of the public? Sure. But if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I've, uh, I've been doing a podcast um, with a guy named Tim Dennis called um, uh, We Do – we do a true crime Tuesday on Tuesday, and then we do a paranormal show on Wednesday. It's called Darkness Radio. Oh, nice! That's a lot of fun, it's, it, and I'm getting a whole new. You see a lot of crossover between the paranormal fans and wrestling fans, and yes. it's really cool because I'm a fan of both. So I can share my experiences with with the paranormal, and a lot of my fans are tuning in and, and becoming fans of Tim, and a lot of Tim's fans are you know, that tune in are becoming fans of me and I'm getting messages and stuff like, Oh my God, I didn't know this about you. And it's like, yeah, you know, like not just a professional wrestler. I do other things too. Another chapter is beginning. Exactly. And like I told you, I'm always, I'm a guy that always wants more and you tell me I can't do something. I'm going to do it. And you know, and, uh, I'm doing the Indies, having a good time. It's fun to pick my own schedule for the first time in my career, you know? Um, and, financially we're not have to worry you know you always you always share those stories about breaking in and i remember my wife and i driving home from some indie show and we had just we were just starting to look for houses and she goes you remember those days when we would be driving home from an indie show we had to decide if we can buy a piece of pizza or put gas in the car you know and we still had to feed the kids and stuff I'm like yeah she goes you we've come pretty far i'm like yeah yeah we have like you know, so that right there, I was kind of like, okay, cool. Like, it was all worth it. Yeah, and like, okay, the contract's gone, but I'm still working hard and still making money, and people still want to see me. So, and keep I, doing it. I think you've stayed so positive throughout so many things, and like you said before, if you're coachable, if if you're willing to put the time in, you will find success. And I think that's why you found success so far for so many years because. You genuinely love what you do. You genuinely take care of those around you and you want to give back. And I think that's exciting. And I think it'd be awesome if you got the opportunity to go ahead and open up a wrestling school. I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, I've been talking to, I live in North Carolina now. Um, and I've been talking to Caprice who's lives real close by and he's thinking to open up a school. And I was like, Hey, I want to be a part of that. Um, I know JD Drake. I don't know if it's his school, if he trains or something like around here, but I was like, Hey, I'll come and I'll help out, you know, um, AML wrestling. I'm going to start with, I guess they have a school. So I'm going to reach out to them. Like, you know, um, it'd be awesome to own my own school, but I know everything that goes into it too. Um, or, or just to help, you know, I, I want to kind of like be like what Harley did, you know, pass it on, um, pay forward as they say, you know, and, and give the knowledge that I got. I mean, it's, quarter what he had <laughs> but still i want to pass it along and and break guys in the right way that we were talking earlier about breaking in stuff like there's a, there is a right way and a wrong way and i want to break guys in the right way so that wrestling stays good it, it's gotten a black eye over the last couple of years because a lot of bad negative stuff's come out but wrestling's still pretty good we just gotta police ourselves and, and make sure there's you know guys are being brought in the right way and in, in the respectful way 
No, I agree 100% with you. And then this, this business needs people like you in it for the long haul, uh, whether it's grooming people or producing or whatever it may be for you to share your experiences and your tutelage uh, for the next generation to come so they can pay it forward to the next group is what it's all about. That's That's the whole thing. Yep, wrestling. Uh, Harley once told me that wrestling was here long before you, and it'll be here long after you. So while you're here, why not just make it better? And that's what's happening. And why all of you are here, since you've been listening to this amazing interview, um, it is plug time. Uh, <laughs> plug the podcast, because I think that's fascinating. Uh, where can people find the podcast? And then as far as merchandise, uh, upcoming dates, all of that kind of stuff. It's it's the know-all for the Beer City Bruiser. Go ahead and let us know all the details. So the podcast is Darkness Radio. Uh, you can find it on any streaming platform. It, it's Darkness Radio. Uh, the picture, like the logo has like a skeleton guy with a microphone. Um, he runs it nonstop, and I'm on there Tuesdays and Wednesdays, so that's when you can listen to it. Uh, for me, you can follow me on Twitter at BCB Winchester. Uh, on Facebook, I'm The Beer City Bruiser. Instagram is Beer City Bruiser. Uh, I have a pro wrestling tea store. It's pro wrestling tees.com slash beer city bruiser. And I actually just released two new shirts. So if people want to go check it out, it's a, it's a rip off of the Natty light logo, which is an inside joke between my wife and I, cause we met over Natty light. <laughs> and then a picture of uh, I blatantly, and I'm going to tell you right now, I blatantly ripped off a crusher shirt because <laughs> crushers who made Milwaukee famous and he's a big inspiration and, and to get the blessing from his family to do the gimmick that I'm doing now was huge. And so I released the shirt to kind of commemorate that. Um, I'm on cameo. So if you want me to say hi, it's check me out. Beer city bruiser on cameo, uh, TikTok. I'm on TikTok. beer city bruiser. And Oh, uh, brothers, good door. That's brothers. G a D D O R.com. I have a wrestling buddy and it's, it's just like the ones from the nineties when they made this and sent me the prototype. It, they're the same company that makes the honor buddies for that ring of honor head release. It looks nice. just like those, but it's me. And you can get, I think me and Brian are the first two pack, which is the bouncers, which is great. Cause I know nice. they just did the bulldogs, which we beat them. Huh? But anyways, yeah, it's brothers. <laughs> good door. G a D D O R.com and uh, head there and pick up a wrestling buddy. And then, Mad Cat Beard Care has a Beer City Bruiser beard oil. It smells like root beer. So if you have a nice beard like we do, you go on there and you can smell like root beer all day long. I like that. I like that a lot. You you are an entrepreneur, my friend. <laughs> you are you are dipping your toes into a whole lot of different things. I'm not a crime. nine to five guy. I yes. Told you that, hey, you I, know I gotta work. I can't let my wife works hard. She just graduated college with honors, and and I always tell her how proud I am because. She's a full-time mom, full-time, you know, wife. She was a full-time employee and a full-time student and still graduated with honors and, and had to deal with me being on the road and just deal with me in general. And she <laughs> still graduated with honors and I've been so proud of her and couldn't, you know, wouldn't do justice unless I said that, but, uh, well, by all I got to live up to that, you know, so I got to get all this other stuff out there. You got to, <laughs> like you said before, it's about hustling, right? Got to hustle. Yeah. You got it. It's the hustle. That's what you got to do. But by all means, from from all of our audience, please let her know. Congratulations on all of her accomplishments as well. And motherhood is is my gosh, uh, that is a master's PhD in life as it is. And it seems like you guys have raised your kids really, really well, and you've got great relationships. And I think that's probably as you would 
probably agree one of your most biggest accomplishments is is the core group that you have around you and i think that's awesome and i'm so happy for you thank you yeah no i'm, I'm real proud of my kids my son right now serving our country couldn't be more proud so not only is she a mother but she's a mother of a soldier during unknown times right now so it is and i tell you what it's uh all I can say is this this past holiday, you know, if you see and, and I even say this when I go to different restaurants, if you see somebody who has the jacket on or the hat, walk up to them and just say thank you. Exactly. And I think a, a simple thank you um, lets them know that you appreciate what they did, because guess what? We live in the greatest damn country in the world. We're lucky to have what we have. And I think sometimes younger generations, they like to bitch and complain and whine. But you know what? It's people who paid paid the ultimate sacrifice and were willing to stand in that front line. So the rest of us can sit in our living rooms. So it just makes you put things into perspective, but this has been so much fun. And I know I went way over the, <laughs> the, the time, <laughs> but um, any chance uh, at some point in time, I could twist your arm to, to do a part two and, and talk a little bit more wrestling and, and get more a uh, little bit more nitty gritty in different areas. Yeah, for sure. You, you got my email, so I'll reach out and that we'll definitely awesome. do that. Young man, it was great talking to you, and we will talk to you down the road. All right, thank you. You got it. Guys, the Beer City Bruiser, so much fun. I can't even believe it. An hour and a half has gone by like a blink of an eye. You know, when you watch wrestlers and you watch these different personas on TV, you you think you are drawn to someone, right? Because their character, you really gravitate with them. But then when you actually get to talk to them, and I think that's kind of the cool thing that we get to do, or I should say I get to do, I get to talk to these people as human beings, and I get to hear about you know struggles and, and making money and paying their dues and relationships they have with their families and, and being able to buy a car and a home. And when you talk to somebody who just sounds at peace, he really sounds at peace, and I think he gets it. He really, really gets it about what this business is about and about what it means to give back so this business can continue to grow. I'm going to plug those social media stuff as well. So the Instagram, the TikTok, the Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Guys, please do me a favor. I've said this before on other shows. If you love wrestling like I do, go ahead and buy a shirt. Put a buck in their pocket. Because I can tell you right now, if you really, really love somebody and you really love this business, Show them from a financial support perspective. Um, definitely do that. And like I said, there's 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 the buddy dolls and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to get all this information so we can go ahead and put it out there. But definitely support him. All right. With that being said, I've talked enough. But I hope you've enjoyed it because I've enjoyed it immensely. That's going to do it. And we will catch you next time on Front Row Material. The Rule of NLW.